Welcome to another week of Tales from the Tailgate. Joining us today, as always, Mr. Alex Christian, Mr. Bo Parker, Auburn Matt joining us again. My name is Rob Christian. Guys, kind of a shortened week in college football. Last weekend, we got, you know, Masters, great Masters, uh, all-time low score in the Masters. Dustin Johnson going 20 under. I want to lead off, though, before we get to the Masters, I want to talk about, you know, it seemed like our prayers were answered with our boy Tony LaRussa. Ended the show with him last week starting up. It seems as if the charges against him were dropped in Maricopa County for the DUI charge. Turns out wasn't completely true. Maricopa County just filed it in the wrong court. They really see, cannot seem to do anything right. So those charges have been promptly refiled against Tony LaRussa, but... You know, we're still rooting for him. We're still fighting the good fight over here. Guys, what are your thoughts on that and the rest of the weekend? Well, I feel I feel bad for Tony LaRusa. He must have uh, or I'm not I'm sorry, not for Tony LaRusa, for the uh for the the county, they must have uh Rudy Giuliani is also their their attorney trying to figure out how to have a lawyer after twenty years out of practice filing in the wrong place. Um, I still don't think Tony La Russa is going to end up managing a baseball club this year. I hope I'm wrong. I kind of like Tony La Russa. He did a terrible thing here. I hope he gets past it, but maybe I'll disagree. Yeah, you're our legal guy. You should go represent him. Watch him Watch him uh, get rid of Tony La Russa before he manages a game and they rehire Rick Renneria. I, I would work for Tony La Russa for free just so I can absorb some baseball knowledge. They're what defending a, him in court. He's a baseball <laughs> guy. Yeah, he's a Hall of Fame baseball person with three World Series rings. Uh, that That's pretty <laughs> impressive, but forgive me, Bo. Isn't it Law School 101 to file in the right court? You know, Isn't that like the first thing that they teach you is make sure you put the paperwork in the right place? Yeah, I believe there was something about jurisdiction that they discussed maybe uh, the week before we started law school. It was in the pre-law school reading. I guess it's probably just been a while for them since they've, since they've done that reading. They didn't yeah, get I don't the think new... my LSAT's valid anymore, but even I knew that one. They didn't get the <laughs> new textbooks in Maricopa County. They should hire us as counsel, although we probably just dismissed the charges because he's such a, a big-time Hall of Fame baseball guy. I can't argue with that. <laughs> But, you know, other than that, mentioned a lot going on, you know, last weekend in golf. What do you all think of uh, how the Masters ended up? My pick didn't do too bad. What about Tiger? Worst hole of Tiger's career. Plopped it in the water three times. That was a bad water boy. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. <laughs> yeah. Tin Cup, when uh, Rene Russo was telling, you know, like, hey, you know, nobody's going to remember who won this, but everybody's going to remember your 12. The most epic collapses in golf history, and people can rattle off, you know, a name like John Vandeville at the British years ago, uh, where he completely imploded and, and ended up losing the tournament. Is anybody really going to remember that Dustin Johnson set the scoring record, you know, this year in 10, 15 years from now? Probably not. Yeah. But, Absolutely everybody is going to remember Tiger dropping a 10 spot 
on the 12th. The crazy thing about that 10 slot to me, he still, he still finished at minus one. Like he still had, by all accounts, I mean, you know, how, how many guys he finished? What, 35 overall? Something like that? Like, like in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a horrible tournament despite that 10th spot. Um, I hear what you're saying. I mean, that's clearly a serious implosion. But the fact is, he also still would have only been at, what, minus eight on the tournament, 12 strokes from the winner. Uh, I'm not sure it'll go down in the annals quite to that extent, only because it was so probably non-impactful to the overall tournament. But I actually have to say, I think if you're Tiger, there's a lot of positives to take away from this weekend based on how well he played the rest of the tournament. To take a 10 on a par 3 and finish with a minus 1, I actually find that more impressive than than any performance outside of Johnson, maybe, for a guy like that with the back problems and coming back. So, No, it's a fair point. It's fun to be a fan of Tiger again. Yeah, what happened to him? Why why'd we ever stop being a fan of him? I always liked him. <laughs> yeah, he loves the ladies. Yeah. Well what's what's interesting is like Nike loves like controversy because they stood by Tiger through all his bullshit with, with the, the car crash and everything. They stood by Kobe for his like rape case and all that. They just love the any PR is good PR to them, which I thought was crazy because he didn't lose Nike as a sponsor, I don't believe. He lost a lot of other ones though. So, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know that. Yeah. <clears throat> and like the kneeling thing with the NFL last couple of years, like they still, Nike still supported all those players. So I don't know if it's just the PR people or they just love controversy because their name's out there and they're still going to sell sneakers. Like, I don't know. Just kind of, I just thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, you've got to back a guy who, when he wears his green jacket into any TGI Fridays, he's going home with the waitress. Yeah, you've got to keep that guy on your payroll. Tiger definitely eats at TGI Fridays. Oh yeah, he got that DUI in Jupiter, and he looked like it was like he looked like he was like the lights are on, but no one's home. It's just like Rob back in what 2018 when we went to Round Table and bought like three hundred dollars worth of Vegas bombs. And then you, Alex, you said the lights on, but nobody's home. <laughs> and then the bartender stops us and was like, "God, you guys spent like three hundred dollars on Vegas bombs." And I said, oh, no, it's cool. We're just here for the weekend. And he's like, oh, okay. And he kept going. Yeah. Were y'all hanging out with Tony LaRusso? Must have been. <laughs> I wouldn't know. No one was home. Tony LaRusso was the DB. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. He loves oh, I'm it. Definitely changing, I'm definitely changing my uh, fantasy baseball name to that. <laughs> Tony LaRusso digs Vegas bombs. <laughs> Designated designated managers. Thought he was the DH. Yeah, we thought Ron Washington was the most problematic manager in baseball a few years ago. Ron Washington when, is one of the coolest guys in baseball. If I had to hey, pick, he loves blow. Yeah, he loves blow, and he smokes. Uh, <clears throat> he smokes Marlboro Reds, I think, and he loves wild turkey. Hey, that's my guy. He may, that's my manager. Now he might smoke camels. I don't know. I don't remember what Ron Washington smokes. If he's smoking cowboy killers, loves wild turkey and cocaine, now that's that's a candidate I can get behind. 
just wheeling people around third. Throwing some Hellcat Maggie in there, and it's a real party. Absolutely. Oh, God, I can, I can feel the hangover creeping back from three years ago. Hellcat Maggie is a wonderful, wonderful liquid. I recommend it for everybody. I've been trying to find it. I can't seem to find it anywhere. Y'all have to like send me some in like a care package or whatever. I'll Venmo you. They do have it at <laughs> yeah, total. For $17.99 a fifth, I will you. Thanks, fam. Yeah, you got to hit up your local total line for that. I don't, but, I don't think we have one of those up here. I'll have to check. Yeah, Auburn Matt is stuck in the panhandle of Florida, closest to, I think, like the largest U.S. bombing range, continental bombing range. Yeah, I'm smack dab between. That's why I'm more of a college away from last chance you for basketball. But the reason they didn't do the um, they didn't do that they didn't, they, Netflix was going to get them to do some series just like for the football. But then the guy was like, "Oh nah, we can't do that because you know we my players smoke too much reefer for that to happen. I don't want all that on the news." And I live an hour away from UWF, the current national champions for D two football. So it's like I'm all about college sports, but you know that's kind of where I grew up in, like you know the Gulf Coast. So that's all there really is. We have my we have third year as a program, and they won the D two national championship. They went their second year, or they went the first or second year to the national championship and lost. And I think it was like the fourth year they won the national championship. Yeah, building the powerhouse out there and. You know, when we start talking about powerhouses, there's another big event happening right now. And as we speak, I think the Minnesota Timberwolves are running up to the podium. No, they've uh, uh, take, they've already announced. Have it. they have they already picked Anthony Edwards? Yeah, it was Anthony Edwards. Now the Warriors okay, so I'm are, a few minutes behind. Now the Warriors are on the clock. They said the, they said the number one pick was Lamelo Ball, at, like to the Timberwolves. Did they pick him or they didn't pick him? No, they they, they Anthony picked Anthony Edwards. Edwards, the guard out of Georgia, which was a smart pick. <clears throat> it, it, it's that was a no brainer. And if if uh, Golden State does not take. Wiseman, the kid from Memphis who only played three games because of NCAA violations during his recruiting, they're insane. They need a big, especially now with Clay Thompson uh, coming down with an injury in practice, they have to go big here. They have to start building a team outside of Clay and Steph. That, to me, is where pick two is going to go. Um, then you're looking at LaMelo going to Charlotte unless they trade the pick. And then they have the, the the mock draft I'm looking at has Isaac Okoro going to the Hawks, like the, the pick number six. I saw that too. There's a guy out of France. There's a guy out of Israel that both kind of fit with the Hawks. Um, forgive me. I don't remember either one of their names. They were hard I to don't, Yeah, I, I don't see Okoro dropping past because he was a consensus top five guy. Um, before the lottery, and when that shook out and you start looking at needs, the mocks start to move. Um, I, I really don't see him falling past eight or nine. I don't see him getting past the Knicks, which, Bo, if you get him, that is a strong, strong swing three, uh, especially defensively. Even Dolan can't screw that one up. You'd be amazed what Dolan can screw up. That's all that that's all I have to say about that. But they think it's the best thing every year. Wiseman <laughs> Wiseman did go too, but yeah, we're not here to 
live stream the NBA draft. I don't know how Adam Silver thinks about that. But, yeah, I, Akuro, you mentioned the Auburn guy. He'll go up there. I think the Heat pick 20th. He'd have had two first-round picks in two years. I don't remember last time that happened. I don't think the Miami Heat had a first-round pick for, like, six years at one point in the last ten years. So Yeah, we traded two straight – two or three straight for Goran Dragic. So, yeah, it's it's good to have a draft a draft pick in the first round and actually care. You know, you look at guys who have fallen uh, and turned into great players. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was 15. So the Heat at 20, if you see a little movement up there, if Riles decides that he wants to move up, let's go. You know, you might get a good guy somewhere in the 14 to 22 range. Yeah, I trust Pat Riley with everything. I'm probably more interested in than you know what's going on you know this past week and what's being talked about Harden wanting to go to Brooklyn go to the Nets the big trade between uh, New Orleans and the Bucks uh, the Pels are you know my number two team I was very upset to see Drew Holiday go but you know they're getting picks for him I think you know in the last year or so the Pelicans have acquired six first round picks and some good pieces there so you know Go Pelicans. Hopefully they're building something. One of those picks has got to turn out. Or turn the picks and flip them for someone that you need. And then I heard something about Russell Westbrook. Possible landing spot would be the Wizards. And I think if Russell Westbrook goes to the Wizards, that's the last we'll ever hear of Russell Westbrook. So might as well turn in his badge and his gun on that one. But, yeah, we'll see how that turns out. But, you know, moving on from you know, the NBA – think we take a look at what we had in college football last week we actually recorded on Tuesday last week so we didn't really get to the whole you know Maction experience uh we didn't get to talk about it there was a great fake spike shades of Dan Marino versus the Jets with the fake spike for the touchdown and y'all get to see that one yeah I watched that one live because you know Western Michigan was losing and then Somehow they came back. They had the onside kick, and then they um, – I think they missed the PAT, so it was – they had to score a touchdown to win, and then they did the fake spike at the because they were at the – I think the five or the seven-yard line, and I was just almost out of my seat. I was like, wow, this is nuts, because they were losing really badly. And then um, I forgot who they were playing, but they just couldn't come back from that. So I thought that was just like – it's awesome to see trick plays. You know, the hook and ladder – play or the, the, was it the Statue of Liberty play hook and ladder with uh, Boise State and um, Oklahoma like in 07. So anytime there's, a, there's like a trick play in the game or like when Gus Malzahn did the had his kicker as a wide receiver last year in the Iron Bowl and they had 13 guys on the field Alabama did. So anytime I see something like that it's always worth watching in the highlights. Yeah I think they did both in that game. They had the Statue of Liberty and the hook and ladder. Yeah exactly. In that Fiesta Bowl yeah. Oh, I had to take a shot at the Jets right there. Jets were off last yeah, week. That, yeah, that, that's your poop on the Jets minute. It was noted. Thank goodness for the bye week, though. Yeah, it was a, it was a poop on the Jets second there. Oh, man. Other than that, though, wanted to talk about that Miami game. Man, Miami looked bad. I watched the vast majority of that game. 
And actually, Miami came in as a top 10 team. We talked about it last week. They were a road dog in Blacksburg against Virginia Tech. What were they? Plus four, plus three and a half, somewhere around there. They go I think into, it was a half. I think it was like a two, yeah. They go into Blacksburg. They get the win. It was ugly. They should not have won that game. They win, though, and then they still drop out of the top 10. I don't know how that happens when you're a road dog, you win, and then you get knocked out of the top 10. Well, I think part of that is the mounting number of COVID positives that have come back from the U and looking at who's going to be available in coming weeks. I think the pollsters are projecting here because the Canes, you know, I, I would like to take credit for this win because I was drinking hurricanes on the beach watching that game, and the bartender said if I stopped drinking that we would lose. So kept going. Shout out to my dude Ryan from Fort Worth who called us a bunch of renegades out there at the bar. Miami is a team that is starting to find itself in positions where they're learning how to win. In years past and in previous coaching regimes, the Canes in close games have always found a way to lose. This seems to be a team that's turned that corner and is finding ways to win. I think they're learning. And that is a very dangerous thing for the rest of the ACC when you look at this talent. Because no program in all of college football has underperformed as much as Miami over the last 20 years. Unless and you're that includes, Michigan. <laughs> no, not with the no. – screw Michigan. Michigan has nowhere near the amount of pro talent. They have nowhere near – the amount of players that have gone on to have amazing NFL careers that did absolutely jack shit in college when it comes to winning. They were perennially seven and five, six and six, eight and four. They were a middle of the ACC team with arguably the best talent group in the nation and the best recruiting talent that there is. And every single time when it came down to signing day, the Canes would lose out on six or seven of the top battles. And that was Mark Rick's problem. When it came down to signing day and he let all of these recruiting battles go too late, they lost to a Florida, to a Florida State, to an Alabama or a Georgia. They need to start winning so that they don't have that happen again. And I think they're there. I think Manny's starting to put it together. He's totally hands-off on the offense. Brett Lashley is calling games to put guys in the right spot to succeed. I only see upside here for UM. I'm just surprised how much Rhett Lashley improved. I mean, I don't, I didn't think he was that great at Auburn, but I guess Gus was calling the plays then too. So but it looks like they've really, they've really improved from last year. Last year they lost to FIU in the what the bones of the Orange Bowl were like Marlon, which was you know embarrassing. But now they have the FIU's. Um, I think it was Jorge Borigales as the kicker, and he's. I don't know if he's missed one this year or not. I mean, they they just like improved all over across the board: special teams, offense, and then you know defense has always been all right with them. Yeah, and that, you know, like I said, Miami's a team on the upside, you know, on the upswing. Team on the downswing right now is, uh, is Sparty. Your Michigan State Spartans got absolutely, they got their dicks kicked in. Yeah, sorry. By Indiana State, this week. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's, you can't hate on too much. So it's, they have a first year head coach. They didn't really get to do a lot of recruiting because um, I think D'Antonio retired too late. So they didn't really have a great recruiting class. They, they did sign some pretty good players. They signed a couple four stars. Um, and I mean, 
but it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, Michigan, like there's, what is it, the one in three Big Ten circle that sucks. So it's like Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois, Rutgers, and Michigan State are all one and three. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't I don't hate on Michigan State too much because they have a you know, first-year head coach and he beat their, you know, arch-rival Michigan. Whereas, you know, Harbaugh's in his sixth year and he's a one and three, which I think is unacceptable. But at least they're not all Penn State. I mean, Penn State is still getting punished for the Sandus- Sandusky years by the football gods. Yeah, the motto is what, what a sad story that is, though, because it's like they, they're saying, "Oh yeah, COVID this, COVID that," but how are they like zero and four? I don't even think I've ever seen Penn State be zero and four in my lifetime. Yeah, and leave the Michigan State guy to give us, you know, his ethical uh, perspective here. Nasser was the uh, he was the what is it? That's more of the Olympics. That wasn't so much like. Michigan State sports. Sandusky was 100% Michigan. Sandusky was 100% Penn State, and then Joe Pod did the bare minimum. So, I mean, I, I say that's a lot worse. Those Joe Pa pregame speeches. We're going to go out there and we're going to forget about everything off the field. Yeah, it takes on a whole new meaning when you put it in that light. That loss and Indiana, you know, starting to separate itself from the also Rams in the Big Ten this year really goes to show about that circle of suck and how bad how bad the Big Ten really is top to bottom. And, Rob, I know you had the breakdown on who's beaten who, and we were talking about the transitive property of football last week. By this math, you need some kind of, what's that, the TI-83 calculator that does calculus and does the graphs. You need to figure out who is actually – not as bad as they look in the Big Ten because everybody looks terrible. Exactly. So Michigan has beaten Minnesota. All these teams are one and three. Michigan beat Minnesota. Minnesota beat Illinois. Illinois beat Rutgers. Rutgers beat Michigan State. Michigan State beat Michigan. So it really is just the circle of suck over here. Um, I mean, I would I would say if you're gonna do that kind of math, you look who's been there the longest, who has who has been who has all his players. I mean, I don't. I think that PJ Fleck is just in a down year because I think he lost a lot of guys. Um, Whether Lovey Smith is, he's been there a long time, I think, and he's not doing well. Rutgers has a new coach in Greg Schiano again, and they look they, they've looked better. They actually have a pulse when they play Ohio State and all these other teams. Um, Michigan State they have a new head coach. They're still not doing that well, but you know, Northwestern was shit last year, and they they look pretty good this year. So I have hope for them. When it comes to Michigan, I mean, I just think they're trending down, and everybody, everybody just has Harbaugh just raking a raking his ass over the coals just every single week. He's not the guy. He's not the guy. But I don't think they have to. I don't think people realize they have to deal with the same thing Notre Dame does with the admissions, like Notre Dame, Bandy, Stanford. They have to deal with like the admission issue, and until the administration says, all right, we need to get some studs like Alabama or anywhere in the, like some of the top guys in the SEC, we need to you know lower our admission standards for the the uh, the players and for all these like different athletic people, I think they're still going to struggle. There's nothing really Harbaugh can do about that. I mean, maybe he can follow what um, what Brian Kelly's doing, but I think you know Brian Kelly's been there for a long time, and I think he figured I figured it out. But I kind of wonder what Harbaugh Harbaugh's thinking about it all. If he's just like fuck it, I'm going to go to the NFL next year. Brian Kelly's first year there was I think 2010. Out of that, you know, 2010 coaching, you know, carousel changes. There's only one other guy who's been at their school that long, and I don't really think it's a big name 
at all, but only two of them have survived. But shout out to the guy that I saw on uh, some random person I saw on Instagram making fun of the Big Ten, though, called it the NFC Least Junior. And I hadn't thought of it like that, but it really, really is true. And, you know, shout out to my boy Ty Freifogel, one of my favorite names, for bringing in uh, 200 yards and two touchdowns for Indiana against Michigan State. But going out west, we see USC and, you know, Alex, you were kind of arguing a little bit ago that it's saving Clay Helton's job. USC should be 0-2 right now. They have gotten lucky breaks against both Arizona teams, but right now they're, you know, Arizona State champs. But they lucked out of this one. They won 34-30 against Arizona. I don't know how long they're going to keep this up. I believe today, the 18th, the Pac-12 came out and lifted their ban against non-conference games, too. So I don't know if anyone's actually going to pick up a game. I know BYU has an open date. I think Cincinnati has an open date where they could play somebody. I don't know if any of them really want to take on either of those teams, but, you know, we could see if anyone needs a, you know, a quality game that they think they could win. That could be something. Yeah, that would be something. And the only reason why, if you're a 12-pack team, you would opt into one of those games against a BYU or a Cincinnati, which both of those teams will beat anybody in the 12-pack right now, is the fact that you've had games suspended or canceled due to COVID and you need to get eligible uh, for your conference championship game. That's the only possible reason I could see any single uh, Pac-12 team opt-in for something like that. Otherwise, why do you put yourself at risk to get blown out nationally by a group of five teams? I mean, it makes sense for one of them geographically to put BYU on their schedule if they want an extra game, though. Like, that's the team that you would automatically go to, another Utah team. Utah hadn't even been able to play a game this week. We'll see if they get one in. But the rest of the Pac-12 has played two already. I mean, we've kind of talked about it a little bit already the last few weeks, but I want to hear your opinion again on this in this context of do they try to schedule another game. How is the college football playoff selection committee going to look at a team that's only played six, maybe they get that seventh championship game, so seven games total all year, seven all in the Pac-12 against kind of a weak Pac-12. How is the selection committee going to look at that, and do they need maybe just an eighth win generally to get the college football playoff committee to even take a serious look at them? Does that factor in at all? I think they were talking about how some of those analysts were saying it might even just be arbitrary. Like they might just put Ohio State over somebody else just because they think they'd be better, which I'm not really sure if that's the best option. But, you know, people are using COVID as a cop-out for everything, so I wouldn't be surprised. No, We'll see how it turns out with Ohio State this weekend, too. You know, should have mentioned at the end of that Indiana-Michigan State game, Indiana, huge matchup with Ohio State this weekend. We'll pick it later but Ohio State favored by 20-and-a-half at the time that we see it right now. I think it's going to be probably closer than that, but I don't know. We'll see if Indiana's the real deal. If Ohio State were to lose that game, do you think they're in the, they're still in the same boat as Alabama and Notre Dame? Because those are the two right now where they're saying they could lose a game and still get in. 
Absolutely not. Notre Dame can lose only to Clemson from here on out. Alabama could lose to Florida in the SEC championship game. Those are the only two possible permutations where both of those teams get in with one loss. And it would have to be close for Notre Dame because they're going to go in as, what did I say, a 10.5-point dogs against Clemson on a neutral field with Trevor Lawrence. That's what Vegas had him as a week ago. If Alabama drops, you know, to, you know, and also ran in the SEC, they're done. I'm sorry. Uh, they would have to run the table, win the SEC championship convincingly against Florida. If they lose to Florida and Florida runs the table from here on out, both of them can get in. And I think a one loss Florida that beats Alabama in the SEC championship game in Atlanta would still probably get the nod over in the one loss Alabama team there as well would get in over an undefeated BYU because of a lack of a strength of schedule, not by any fault of their own, just because they had to, you know, piece together a schedule in a matter of weeks. And Cincinnati, whose last real test is going to be this week against UCF. You know, you're not seeing a marquee win on either one of those schedules, that to me is going to be the committee's decision. That's what it's going to be based on. I don't see uh, any group of five team making it in because if UCF didn't make it in in 17, I don't know why they would give the nod to somebody else, even if like Cincinnati's blowing teams out and, you know, uh, Wilson at BYU is just playing amazing football. I just, I just don't see it personally, but, you know, I've been wrong before. I think this BYU team would work that UCF team. Oh, yeah. I think they're that good. But on the Pac-12 side of things, I think if any if any Pac-12 team you know, loses, I think you're out of it. I mean, really, the only one that you could talk about is Oregon, right? They're ranked 11th. Yeah. And, you know, if Oregon drops a game, I think the Pac-12's done. USC. Well, the Big 12, well, we, we said we said the Big Twelve was done a couple episodes ago. Is that, is that that still stands though? Right, even if Oklahoma State's a one-loss team and they win win everything, hundred percent, they're out. Yeah, there's no one for them to beat in a Big Twelve championship game either. It's it's Bedlam this weekend. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, but I think that's what a fifteen eighteen or a fourteen eighteen matchup. I don't think either of them deserve to be in it at all. A Pac twelve team certainly doesn't deserve to be in it, especially if Oregon loses. USC is going to lose. I'm going to call that right now. They should have lost their first two games, as I mentioned before. I don't see anyone you know, from that conference that you know really has a shot at it. But, but lose to who, Rob? They don't play anybody until the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, but it's the Pac-12. They could just they could just shit a brick out there anytime. I mean, we've seen it happen before. We've seen great Pac-12 teams just pretty much just shit the bed. Utah last year. Yeah. Yeah. Against Texas too. I think they played them and which I don't know, I don't I don't remember which bowl that was, but they got just killed by Texas. Anytime Texas is playing a bowl game, take them to win, you'll probably do all right on the betting side. Bo's got that West Coast bias in him still. <laughs> We're gonna get rid of it. But we'll go back to, you know, the better part of football, the better part of the country talk a little bit about the SEC. We had the Felipe Franks Bowl last week. UF pretty much worked Arkansas. It was 
it was close through the the first quarter, and then Florida just ripped it open. I think it was twenty eight to. I think the second quarter was just twenty eight to seven. Florida. Did y'all hear they were like? Did y'all hear they were booing Felipe Franks when he came on the field? That makes me. I haven't seen that. Yeah, they were the Florida fans. I think they packed the swamp out that week too. It was from what it looked like in the game. I guess DeSantis was like, "Ah, go ahead, pack the swamp." And then Dan Mullen was like, "Yeah, pack it. I don't care about COVID." And then, uh, yeah, they were booing Felipe Franks pretty hard when he took the field the first time after. I think I think I think Florida scored then, and then uh, he came out on the field, and they were all just yeah, pretty much telling him how they felt about him his last couple years at Florida. And then Kyle Trask goes out there and tosses six touchdowns, five of them in the first half. And then that backup that they like to put in on, you know, running packages, he even threw one towards the end of the game. Trask, the first UF quarterback to throw for six touchdowns in a game, you know, more than once in a season. You know, like there's been some, you know, decent Florida quarterbacks that have come through. I I don't think anyone would have expected Tebow to do it because he ran so much. But you look at guys like Daniel Werfel, um, I really wasn't going to happen around Spurrier's time, but you know there've been some guys who could sling the ball over at Florida, but the first time, uh, first time for that, and he's just been tearing it up. I've been saying it really needs to be in the Heisman race. I think it'll turn out, you know, how they do towards the SEC championship and how they're you know inevitably going to play Bama. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, they've got a clear path. They just need to stay out of their own way. Um, Florida seems to have figured it out right now when it comes to play calling, when it comes to defensive schemes. You know, they know they can let up points. They don't have to bring pressure unnecessarily. They are, you know, for lack of a better term, they're an offense that protects its defense. And they've got the horses right there. I I don't see a stumbling block for UF until – you know, they run into that Alabama offense, which is a buzzsaw, you know, coming right at them. I, I think Alabama will be probably a seven and a half, eight point favorite in the SEC championship game. But I, I really don't see either one of those teams dropping before them. Then we move on to you know, what was a very good game for you know some of us here. Auburn was Auburn's game against Mississippi State was postponed. Last week, Ole Miss still got to play. Ole Miss's game this week against A and M is postponed, but big win for the Rebs in Oxford. We got to see a great moment by Lane Kiffin throwing his play sheet up in the air, drifts drifts into the stands. Don't know how I feel about the plays being, you know, just being passed around through the stands. A staffer had to go get that for him, but Rebs moved to three and four with a fifty nine to forty two win against South Carolina. More important storyline out of that is Will Muschamp, you know, his time at South Carolina is finally it's finally ended. I said earlier this year that this should have been, you know, a two-year-ago decision, and nothing against Will Muschamp. I like Will Muschamp, but I think they needed a more offensive-minded guy. They just haven't been able to pull it off. He wasn't able to pull it off at Florida either. He's a great defensive coordinator. I don't know if he needs to be taking an SEC head coaching job again. And then on the Ole Miss side, look at Matt Corral and look at Elijah Moore. Matt Corral breaks the Ole Miss uh, passing uh, game, a passing record in a single game, has over 500 yards. Elijah Moore, South Florida guy, 
first player in SEC history with 225-plus yards receiving in consecutive games, and we lined him up in the backfield, too. I think he got, like, 40 yards rushing. Since the Egg Bowl, since the piss and miss, which he's caused, and we'll get into it in a second, how Elijah Moore has changed the SEC, it's been seven games. Rebs are three and four now. 74 catches for 1,054 yards, I think it is, and eight touchdowns in seven games. That is an astounding stat. And you look at the dominoes that have fallen just due to Elijah Moore, really, and it's he got Matt Luke fired, which in turn got Joe Moorhead fired, and now really, you know, kind of his performance out there has led to a Will Muschamp firing, too. So that's three head coaches down in eight games. Bo, how well, it has been. Well, it has been like fifty-three. Was it fifty-three days since the air raid takeover in the SEC? So, I don't think I don't think Mississippi State wanted any of this this week. Last week when they came, when they got when they got postponed and all that. Well, Bo, how are you I, feeling about the Rebs? Oh man, oh you know it's a roller coaster of emotions with the Rebs. It's always so fun to watch Elijah Moore. Uh, it was good to see Braylon Sanders. He had a big game. I'd like to see Yaboa do a little bit more. Um, he's uh, he's looked really good throughout the season. Didn't do a whole lot, but when you got guys like Sanders and Moore just absolutely dominating, you just go with that. Matt Corral looks really good. What what I thought was really interesting about what you're saying, though, Rob, this must champ, he hasn't gotten it done even on the defensive side. Like, that's why he got fired, right? Like, you, so, so you said uh, maybe South Carolina needs somebody more offensive-minded. But I don't even think that's necessarily where the issue was uh, in South Carolina, right? Like, he hasn't even done what he was supposed to do on the defensive side. And I'm interested to hear you guys' uh, opinion on that. Um, because it seems like they've actually not even had that many problems scoring points in the Muschamp era, but that it ends because of a lack of what he's supposed to be good at, ostensibly, right? Um, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, Will Muschamp, the reason he didn't succeed at Florida and South Carolina is that he never really had a star quarterback, and he just couldn't really get the offense going. I mean, if you look at it from both from, from both programs, that's really what he had. I mean, Jim McElwain took over a lot of Muschamp's players, and then that's the only thing that ever kept him afloat, which is kind of why they got rid of him, other than the controversy that, you know, came out after, with you know, him lying to the media, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I don't know. I, I think I don't think he's really a head coach material. I mean, not most – a lot of D.C.s aren't. I mean, I think from what, from what I understand, um, offensive coordinators do a better job at transitioning, but not always. But I think he'll probably get a good position somewhere because he was at Auburn in 15 as, like, the highest-paid defensive coordinator in the country even though he didn't really do that well. But, you know, playing in the SEC is such as life, you know what I mean? So that's kind of, that's kind of how I think about his head coaching career. Right. Now, you know, it was his third stint at Auburn. Uh, I think he was there as a grad assistant then, 05, 06. He may have been there 07. It was right yeah, when he, he, was, he was there college. 07, yeah. Um, you know, Coach Boom, we had a top 10 defense. Those defenses at Texas where he was a head coach and waiting behind Mac Brown. So they were solid. It was back when the big 10 or big 12 decided to play defense occasionally. 
you know, those were good teams. And to me, his problem has always been recruiting as a head coach. He has surrounded himself with guys that just haven't worked out uh, from an assistant perspective. That was the case at Florida. It was a case at South Carolina. And when you start losing those recruiting battles, and you know he was losing in-state to Florida State when he was at Florida. He definitely was losing everybody in-state to South Carolina, and he was hemorrhaging guys to Georgia. So right there, when you don't have your home base solidified, you're setting yourself up for failure, and that's what happened to Mustang. Yeah, he had quarterbacks like Treyon Harris and Jeff Driscoll. I mean, it's not much, not, not much doing there. And I think Jake Bentley was pretty similar to that. I mean, Ryan Holinsky had a had a or, yeah, Holinsky had a good, decent year last year, but they just still had so many problems. They somehow I mean, married, they benched him this year. Yeah, this year they did, but um, even their but their transfer quarterback they had, I think, from Colorado State or something. He's he's not that good either. But, I mean, somehow it was a miracle they beat Georgia last year. I mean, you play that game probably a thousand times, they're going to lose it, most like a majority of that. Probably only win like a, like, an, like maybe 50 to 100 times out of a thousand. Do, so, they, do they play that game at the beginning of the year still? I know that was Spurrier's favorite game to play Georgia. Yeah, because like too, yeah. Because Georgia would yeah, always have like, yeah, like yeah, four of their yeah. players would be in jail. So Spurrier liked playing them early, but – Looking at the beat him consistently too. Looking at the odds for the new South Carolina head coach, I want to hear y'all's thoughts. A big name being thrown around has been Hugh Freeze. Actually, the day that we recorded last week, we were talking about you know Hugh Freeze a lot, and the next day he signed a big extension with Liberty. I don't think that means you know too much there, but. Uh, the odds were released, and Billy Napier, I really like Billy Napier from Louisiana Lafayette, uh, Hugh Freeze, plus 400, Napier's 300, Shane Beamer from Oklahoma, son of Frank Beamer, he's plus 500, Jerry Chadwell, the guy at Coastal Carolina, who's huge right now, he's plus 600, he actually had the best, he had the best you know, reply to a media request. I don't know if y'all saw this, but a reporter texted him asking about, you know, any interest in the South Carolina job. And all he said was, my wife's van has a broken tail light that I'm trying to fix. So I've got bigger issues or else she's going to be pissed. So he had no comment on that. Uh, Luke Fickle, I thought was a pretty interesting name on there. Uh, Tony Elliott, uh, Tony Elliott's what the offensive coordinator at Clemson, I think. Uh, Scott Satterfield's on there. I don't think he's going to leave Louisville. If I were Scott Satterfield, I would much rather coach at South Carolina than Louisville, but that's just me. Uh, Bill O'Brien's on this list. Sarkeesian's on this list. Brent Venables. Will Healy is a really interesting name. If it was going to get down to like the fifth or sixth pick for Ole Miss last year, that Ole Miss race was really between Mike Norvell and Lane Kiffin, and by God, I'm glad that they got Lane Kiffin. But, you know, down that list was Will Healy, a really young guy from UNC Charlotte. Great energy out of him. I'd be, you know, I'd be really happy to see him get a shot, but I don't think he does. Joe Brady's on this list. I'm going to call him no right away. And then Jeff Monken from Army, no. But out of that list, are you going to take somebody or are you taking the field? I, I, tell you, I just think Bill O'Brien's the most interesting name of all the ones you listed there. First of all, you can't 
trade players in college football, which is just such a plus if you're bringing Bill O'Brien in somewhere. But he was uh, national head coach of the year in 2012 when he was at Penn State. Um, he, he's the most interesting name to be on that list. If I'm USC and he's interested in it, I'm thinking long and hard about it, uh, I think, somebody like Bill O'Brien, even though I know he was lower down on your list. That would be the saddest pick in my mind. I don't think Luke Fickle's going anywhere because he turned down – Michigan State went after him hard and he turned them down and they were in a better position than South Carolina was. I don't see him leaving at all. Um, I mean, the, the, everybody's saying Hugh Freeze, but I think Greg Sankey's going to stop that because he'll be like, hell no, we're not bringing Hugh Freeze in the SEC again. Um, probably ULL's coach, I see that one most likely. I mean, I mean that'd be so – it'd be like hilarious if they picked Willie Taggart or somebody like that because it's like, oh, yeah, they picked Will Muschamp who was like not that good at, at Florida. It's like par for the course if they pick somebody like Willie Taggart who just absolutely sucked at Florida State. I think so, Willie uh, Taggart never really gets a good job again. I don't think he really wants one. Again, I think – I think USF was the perfect spot for him, you know, a long time ago, and I think FAU is just USF East. It's just you're switching coasts, so I think that's right about his level, and I think he really needs to stay there. He did not give a damn at Florida State, and he really didn't give a damn at Oregon. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And South Carolina, and I guess we can call him a legend because he beat Alabama and ended up going to an SEC championship game where Sam Newton absolutely stomped on his face. Steven Garcia came out and said that his pick is Beamer from Oklahoma. To me, it's, uh, what's the guy's name? Chadwell from Coastal. Jerry Chadwell. Chadwell. I, I think, to me, that makes the most sense. I think the boosters would be happy because when you were the third best team in the state of South Carolina and you were located in Columbia, not Conway, you've got an issue. Uh, to me, Chadwell's got to be the guy from an in-state perspective. I could see Napier going there, but if I'm laying money, give me the odds on Chadwell. Look at Coastal Carolina, too. Undefeated in football. They won a baseball national championship a few years ago. Dustin Johnson went to Coastal Carolina. They're running it up in the sports world. I think they won something else recently, too. But, hey, Conway might be the place to be if you want to be known in the sports world lately. But anything else on coaching? I know Auburn, Matt, that was a big thing you know, coming in around here. You had yeah, something I mean, that you wanted to talk about Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, I mean, in the Sorry. Yeah, in the pre-show we were talking about um, – I had a list from that that's put up. Um, Dennis Dodd just wrote it today. Um, he essentially had a 2020 list of hot seat rankings, which for me personally, I was kind of shocked they would fire Will Muschamp in, in a year. It's probably like the worst you know, revenue loss in recent history because they can't, they can't really have people in the stands, and I guess unless you're Florida because you're in a Florida man, but can't really have many people in the stands. Um, just they're just hemorrhaging money and then you know even if when they postpone the games as we said before they're not getting the tv revenue but um essentially what he was saying is about half of the like 52 percent of coaches like of the um the 130 fps coaches which so there's like 67 of those um they're essentially like a zero or one on a litmus scale from zero being like safe and then five being like we're gonna fire them if they lose a game 
Um, what I thought was interesting was they have they have a list. Uh, so the heating up list is Jim Harbaugh is a five rating. You know, he, everybody's assuming he's going to be gone. Derek Mason at a five at out of uh, Vanderbilt. Ed Orgeron at a three where it's, you know, the national champions are just like sucking this year. Les Miles at a three because, or at a three because he's three and 15 at, at Kansas. Um, and then the holding steady Clay Helton, for some reason, I don't know how the hell he still has his job because, you know, it was like all, all but said that Urban Meyer was going to probably take the job, but I guess he decided he didn't want it. Um, Tom Herman at a four after the loss to Oklahoma because this was the year they were supposed to compete for a national championship. Kevin Sumlin at a four. He's just not doing well at Arizona. And then it says cooling off, like Chip Kelly was going to be fired, they say, or, you know, there was the speculation. And he cooled off to a four. Scott Frost at a four, which, you know, I think, me personally, I think he's just not doing well over there because he can't recruit. And I don't really see it getting any better. But they have him at a four. And then the only other people, they had Jimbo Fisher and Manny Diaz at a two because they cooled off some. And then Kalani Skatate, I don't know how you say that. Whoever the head coach is at BYU, he's at, you know, safe for now because they're having probably the best year they've ever had. But I just kind of – we talked about this in the pregame. Alex, what did you think about that list? You said you wanted to add Pruitt to that and take off uh, Ed Orgeron, right? Yeah, Coach O ain't going anywhere. They can't afford the buyout. The state of Louisiana is broke as hell. Um, there, there's no way Coach O, who is as beloved as he is by the administration, by the boosters, by the entire state, he's not going anywhere. Um, Harbaugh, they are going to mutually part ways at the end of the season. Probably Harbaugh going and taking an NFL job for absolutely no goddamn reason. Um, Pruitt's done. And Tennessee is a dying program. It's a dying brand. But I, w- I want to hear. I want to hear why you think Pruitt should be there, and why. When we talked about, that, I think last week too. But I just don't understand how, if he's recruiting better than Scott Frost, how is it like he's a dead program, and why? Why should he be? Oh, fired? Nebraska's dead too. Nebraska's farther. They are buried deeper in the ground than Tennessee, and that is just because of you're looking at your talent base. It all goes back to recruiting, and it goes to developing players. It was a problem with Miami. The problem with Miami wasn't recruiting. It was the development of players. Right now, the same can be said with Tennessee. Tennessee is winding up as the seventh or eighth best recruiting class year in and year out. And they can't translate that into wins on the football field. And this was when Florida was experiencing some down years. Georgia was up and down going through a coaching change. South Carolina was falling off. They had their path set for them in the SEC East, which has been, you know, historically bad in the last couple of years. Um, when you look at it in that context, that is why Pruitt is on a hotter seat than Scott Frost. And also, Pruitt didn't go to Tennessee. No, Pruitt didn't go to Tennessee, did he? Uh, I don't believe so. I can look that no, up. He went, to ba- he went to Bama. Okay, that's what I yeah, thought. Yeah. So, Scott Frost is a native, you know, son for Nebraska. He won a national championship there, or a share of. There's no way that they're going to cut bait with him this early. They've got to let him come in because he implemented a completely new style of football to Nebraska than what they had been playing. I, I To me, there's no way he's gone this early. If next year goes the same way, we might be talking different. 
but right now, it, it, logically to me, it does not make sense to get rid of Scott Frost. I think you've got to give him at least one more. So you're saying he's like the Nebraska Jim Harbaugh with just more corn. Exactly. <laughs> well, who, who else is Harbaugh on the list? I don't know who else you're going to get out there. All, yeah. Also, yeah, who are you going to hire if you get rid of Scott Frost? Probably. There's nobody. There's nobody. It's the exact same reason why um, Les Miles ain't going anywhere at Kansas. What's... Because Les Miles has us talking about Kansas, who's 0-7 and 0-7 against the spread. So there's no way that 0-6 or 0-7, whatever it is, there's no way in hell. It's the same thing with Chip Kelly. Why else would we talk about UCLA? Nobody would care what's happening to him if it wasn't for that coach's name being attached to it. That's why those guys are indispensable right now because at least they move the needle. Don't uh, move anything. What's Tom Osborne doing these days? He's still in Ohio. There's no way. He retired. He was the athletic director at Nebraska for a long time. I, I, yeah, I don't know who else you're going to get there. Alex, I think you I did. Just, I, just thought I'd, I just thought I'd bring it up because, you know, they. I was shocked when they, they, they actually did fire him. But I guess these schools are just – either they're losing so much money they have to fire their coach or they just the athletic director just thinks they can get somebody better. Alex, I think you hit the nail on the head with your description of Tennessee, though. They just can't develop them. Recruiting class has been there. You know, it's been a problem at Tennessee for – a while they need someone who can come in and just coach really well with someone else's players and this is this is going to be a joke but you know who the perfect person to do that exact job is John Gruden <laughs> Arkansas and Mississippi's favorite son Houston Nutt Oh my god Hey he's still that... he's a little upset he says that people are shunning him from coaching again Bring in Houston Nutt, let him roll at Tennessee with someone else's top 10 recruiting class, see what he can do. I remember my first time to Ole Miss, and y'all had those nut rags uh, that you were swinging around. They were your version of the terrible towel. And the fact that they were white, just the jokes throughout themselves. But we ended up losing that damn game, so I really can't say too much. But... God, if Houston Nutt, who I'm pretty sure still attends, you know, Arkansas local PTA meetings. He does. Just he to, does. He just actually relevant. He is randomly spotted in local Arkansas athletic department meetings, even though he's not part of any athletic association. He just shows up. There is there is photographic evidence of this. We have no idea why he's there. Okay, so my conspiracy theory you know, falls into place here. He still wears Waldo of coaching in Arkansas. Uh, Is it the Hot Springs, would, Hot Springs, Arkansas Athletic Association meeting, just, you know, eating the free cookie cookies and coffee just in the back? Maybe that's what he's doing. He's just wandering around for, you know, free snacks. Just trolling for lemonade. Okay, you know, I'll, I'll buy into that. But, God, I would watch every Tennessee game if Houston that was on the sideline. That would be that would be hysterical. I wonder if they had like Steve, Steve Sarkeesian at Tennessee. That'd be hilarious. I think well, if, if he could stay sober as a yeah, coach, you could probably yeah. quickly develop a drinking problem in in Knox Vegas. Yeah, I mean you're down the road from the Jack Daniels distillery, uh, and, and you go out in the holler. 
you can get some pretty potent stuff there in uh in east tennessee and you're only 35 minutes from gatlinburg where every 35 feet uh you're running into a moonshine distillery or a winery or that awesome mead place that we went to that god forgive me i can't remember the name but if i had had an extra suitcase i would have just packed it full of that stuff yeah you're not coming out of east tennessee without some some liver issues last time i was in tennessee i went to the i think it was um, cool beans, that bar. And then I, I was sitting at the bar and this one guy was like, Hey, you want some moonshine? And he just like straight up, like poured me, uh, like a glass of like, I get put like a, say like a solo cup or something from like the bar, one of those like clear cups. And he just poured me some like moonshine, just straight up illegal, tasted pretty all right. And then I played darts and shit. So always a good time in East Tennessee. So I think the yeah, lesson of gonna... this story is that we all love Houston nut and we all love getting drunk in Tennessee, but I think we have to, I think we have to start getting on to the NFL right before we do that. I don't know if you've been keeping up with it, but Alex and Auburn, Matt, your boy, uh, the Okoro, uh, he is now a Cleveland Cavalier. So. Yeah, I just saw that. He, Damn went, it. he went pick number five. Yeah. Congrats. Cleveland, uh, LaMelo Ball did go to Charlotte. So I know Michael Jordan uh, gave his blessing if they were going to keep the pick that they could pick. Uh, they could pick ball. I'm still never going to remember which ball that was. But yeah, let's go. This is Lamelo. Let's yeah, go. Lamello. Let's go to the NFL. I think the biggest highlight of the week we'll get started off with, and it was the finish to that Bills Cardinals game, 32-30. Broke a lot of betters' hearts on that who had Bill's money line, looked like it was going to go Bill's right up until the very end. DeAndre Hopkins is an absolute animal. That's one of the best catches, you know, that I've seen in a very long time. Uh, I was talking with our our thick-ass sponsor of the week, Sleeveless J, earlier today. He says that he thought it was a better overall catch than that wild OBJ catch from a couple years ago just because it was surrounded by three guys. And you see the still shot of him, you know, at the apex getting the ball. I I mean that makes a pretty pretty good argument, but you know, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals actually you know pulled that one out against the Bills, a you know Cardinals team that the Dolphins were able to handle. Is it time for the is it time for the Bills to worry? Yes and no. No, in the sense that they still have a stranglehold on the East. Um, but the Dolphins right now, surging back, I think both of them make the playoffs. Um, and the Cardinals are a very good, bad football team. So they're, they're just those guys who are amazingly talented. When they put it all together, it's like, holy crap, Who? where did this team come from? They've got pieces there. Uh, and they should win more than they do. And that's why I, I think it's, going back towards um, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, just being a second-year coach. That's a team that is going to make problems for everybody. So, no, I'm not panicking on the Bills just yet. I definitely am starting to panic on some other teams, like a team in their own division, the Seahawks. It is pull the damn panic cord and just start abandoning ship there because your defense blows. But... No, uh, I don't think this game says a lot about the Cardinals or the Bills and their playoff hopes 
for either one of them. I, I really don't think it means too much. And the Cardinals are playing in the toughest division in football. But what do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, that last point, far and away, every team in that division has a positive point differential. At, yeah, that's a brutal division. Um, I completely agree with you. This is potentially just a battle between two teams that are both going to make the playoffs. It was super fun to watch. Uh, you talked about the Hopkins catch already, which was incredible. Diggs had a catch about two minutes before that uh, that even set up the opportunity for Arizona to get to make that drive and then make that Hail Mary pass. Uh, and Diggs had a catch on that drive in the end zone that I think would have been play of the week if it weren't for that Hopkins catch. So that was such a fun game to watch. You brought up the Dolphins. I think that's the exact right place to go with the conversation because if you're talking about the Bills, I agree with you. I don't think it's time to pull the, the push the panic button yet on the Bills. That being said, the Dolphins got, you know, a pretty winnable schedule coming up. They got the Broncos, the Jets, the Bengals. They just got uh, another W. They're only half a game back in the division. What do you guys think of the Dolphins? First you time. Dolphins, tell me about them. First time the Dolphins have been six and three since two thousand one. So what? Two years after Marino retired. Wow. And on that Dolphins team, I don't think they ever threw for three hundred yards in a game. It was a complete you know defensive show in Miami that year, and the defenses stepped up. Again, you know, this year, this defense looks wild. And with Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, it's the best, you know, man-to-man corner setup in the league. I don't think you can really argue that at all. Can you, Alex? No, you can't. You're absolutely right. Uh, Dolphins' defense right now, when it comes to forcing turnovers, when it comes to forcing three and outs, when it comes to winning the possession battle, Dolphins are a top-five team defense. Uh, we have the number one special teams unit in the league right now. And block Dolphins, punt. Yeah, block punts. Yeah, you're talking about blocked field goals. You're talking about kick returns. Right now, the Dolphins are playing all three phases of the game amazingly well. You know, to rattle off these last couple wins, to have a rookie quarterback come in and not ask him to do too much, just ask him to put himself, you know, put him in the right positions to succeed, and he's doing it. The power rankings from Pro Football Focus came out, or uh, Pro Football Talk with Mike Florio and Chris Sims came out, and they have the Dolphins now as number five in the power rankings over these last few weeks. It, this is a complete turnaround. It is the, you know, Brian Flores audition for Coach of the Year, and he was Florio's number one pick uh, on the show this week. I don't think it's even remotely close. If you're going to say Stefanski, you know, come on, Cleveland's still underperforming. They're in a tough division, but let's be real. What Brian Flores has done in the last 18 months is unreal. This Dolphins team without, they just cut Jordan Howard. I don't even know. If you ask somebody who the Dolphins running backs were, nobody would have a damn clue. Now we do, you know, Rob, you and I do because we've followed the team, but Outside of those who really pay attention, you could name one. So just looking at it from that perspective, what Flores is doing right now and the way this team is overperforming, especially on the defensive side of the ball, 
guys like Kyle Van Noy coming in. It's really something to watch. It's the first time I've really felt true optimism in this team since the mid-90s. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the exact right point about the Dolphins' defense. They're not – clearly that's not how they've done it historically, but they're the fourth-best scoring defense in the conference. I mean, only the Steelers, Ravens, and Colts uh, have better scoring defenses than the Miami Dolphins in the AFC so far this year. Um, and how many guys have more sacks than um, Manuel Agba? Right, I think he's got eight or nine now. No, he's got to be. And he was here on a prove-it deal. You know, didn't pay him the kind of money that you paid you know, other people, especially when you look at corner. But his impact has been unreal on the defensive line, you know, on the defensive front here. He's fourth in the league, only behind Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald, and T.J. Watt. That's okay, those good. are some pretty good guys. <laughs> that's pretty good company. And and that's, you know, we've talked a lot uh, historically, people, you know what they say, defense wins championships. The, the Buffalo Bills may be in first place right now in the division, but the Miami Dolphins have the better defense. And defense wins championships. Defense is what's going to matter when we get into the later months. Now, Rob, you brought up that this is the first time, I think you said, did you say since 2002 that they've started 6-3? and three? 2001. 2001. So I saw a fun stat related to that. You know, the Indianapolis Colts, the Baltimore Colts, have won the AFC East more recently than the Buffalo Bills have. Uh, really? And really. And that's, you know, they, they had a great graphic on, I think it was on the Dolphins game this week, about how long it's been for all these other AFC East teams. It's fun to see the Dolphins and Bills battling for their division title. Why is that? It's because a man named Tom Brady moved to Tampa Bay, he had a big bounce back week this week. Let's talk a little bit about that. Beat the Panthers 46-23. to Had the fourth run in NFL history of 98-plus yards from Ronald Jones. That was pretty fun to watch. Get him the oxygen tank. Y'all have any big thoughts on that one? Yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> uh, I, I had the Panthers straight up in that game. I thought that um, – Tampa being a, I want to say they were a four-point favorite going in, was completely absurd after the way that they played against New Orleans. I was wrong. And T's and P's out to Teddy Bridgewater with that knee. I know he's questionable going into this week, but anytime you mention Teddy Bridgewater, the first thing that pops into your head is his knee. And when you saw him coming up limp and going out of that game, it was Oh, my God, no, not again. You know, a South Florida guy from Miami wants the, the best in the world for him. But, golly, that that made me shudder when I saw that. Yeah, and history wasn't really going against Brady there. I think everyone should have been betting on Brady. Anytime that Brady had thrown three interceptions in a game, he had never lost the subsequent game. So, you know, from from a betting standpoint, I think a lot of it, you know, went towards Brady. The Bucks are such a 
on and off team. It looks like, hey, they aren't as good as the Saints to, you know, begin the year. Then they kind of get to, oh, this is a really good team. Then, you know, that one week, I guess, when they beat, what was it, the Packers, it's like this might be the best football team in the league right now. And then they stutter, and then they have a really bad game, and then, you know, Brady comes back. And, you know, it was a pretty close game there for for a while with Carolina. I don't know. I thought it might be a little bit different with Brady on another team, but, you know, history proved that, you know, you can't bet against Brady after coming off a bad game like that. It's just he knows how to prepare for it, and he knows how to bounce back. And, you know, I think a lot of people thought like me, like, hey, new team, he's not with Belichick anymore, and we'll get to a We'll get to another quarterback who's under Bill Belichick in a little bit who said, you know, pretty much what everyone thinks, that Bill Belichick is some type of football demigod and, you know, he has conversations with the big guys upstairs and knows exactly what's going to go on in the game. So I think a lot of people were, you know, kind of attributing that to Brady and Belichick. But, yep, Brady proved us wrong. Bo, I still want to be with you and say that Brady is a system quarterback, but, you know, proved a lot of people wrong this last week. Other than that, I just mentioned the Saints. Talk about a quarterback with some uh, with some marbles on him, as they would say in Major League. Drew Brees finishing a drive off towards the end of the second half of the collapsed lung. Yeah, I mean, the uh, you talked about Brady's system quarterback. I don't even think I believe that anymore. I, Belichick might be a system coach, but yeah, the so that's the real question now is this division, this NFC South, fun to see this end of the year. What's going to happen between the Saints and Bucks? Saints are seven and two, Bucks are seven and three. Um, but now Breeze, they're saying he's going to miss two or three weeks. I'm not sure personally how somebody with a collapsed lung and I think two to five broken ribs can possibly be back in two weeks. That's just incredible to me. Um, even so, they're coming in on a six-game win streak now as they go to face the Falcons. They're going to have Jameis Winston, uh, potentially. They, they haven't announced it yet. I saw Sean Payton was still uh, – they're probably going to play a little Jameis Winston, a little Taysom Hill, maybe a lot of Taysom Hill in the red zone. Can the Saints continue to be the Saints without Drew Brees? I've been saying all year the Saints are going to be better off when they go to Drew, uh, when they go to Jameis Winston, I'm sorry, that Drew Brees can't throw it far enough anymore. <laughs> We're about to find out if I was right or not. There's a decent chance in two weeks I'm uh, having to apologize for some hot takes I made earlier in the year, but we're going to get to find out. I think the Saints will be fine. I think the Saints run away with this division, kind of easy schedule now going forward. They beat the Buccaneers already twice, but. Uh, Alex, what do you think? you think uh, the Saints can keep on this hot streak even without Drew Brees? The only thing that can stop the Saints from marching on is, you know, the real estate between Jameis Winston's ears. Uh, if if Jameis decides that he is going to go back to Tampa, Jameis, oh, this is going to be bad. I, I think this Falcons game is going to be close. Uh, just because Jameis might be a little bit rusty, and that scares me. The the one hope I have is that Sean Payton is not going to put Jameis in a position to be the old Jameis. 
That I, I think that might be the difference here, and I think that is where Jameis is in a better position to succeed. Defense is playing very well. Alvin Kamara plays like a man possessed when he is out there. He is just so versatile and so dangerous in every aspect. The Saints should run away with the division. The Saints right now would have to be my odds-on pick to get out of the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. I agree with you. The coaching mentorship is so much better for him now than when he was in Tampa. I'm excited to see how the eye surgery worked out. I agree with both of you. Bo, like you said, pretty easy schedule coming up. Their next uh, four games, they get the Falcons twice. Uh, This week's at home, and two weeks they'll play them away. So they get the Falcons twice. They get the Broncos away. That's a win. And they get Philadelphia away for their fourth game um, in mid-December. So three out of four games away from New Orleans, but I don't think that's going to matter. Seven and two right now, I think they're going to end up 11 and two. They don't have to worry. If you're 11 and two, I wouldn't even bring Drew Brees back until the playoffs if you need him. Yeah, and I mean, beyond all that, though, the NFL is a better place when you've got somebody like Jameis Winston throwing three or four picks and three or four touchdowns every single game. It's just more fun. But speaking of a team that uh, had trouble with turnovers this week, are the Seahawks in panic mode following this loss to the Rams, 23-16? They had a fumble, two interceptions, and that was a big part of the story on how they ended up losing this really important matchup to the L.A. Rams this week. Uh, what do you guys think of that one? Yeah, like like I mentioned earlier, hit the panic button. If you're Seattle, you absolutely have to panic because you saw it in this. You know, this was a perfect encapsulation of what the Seahawks' problem is. The offense has to play perfect. Russell Wilson has to be perfect on every drive or else they will lose. The Rams, very good football team, but not as good top to bottom as what the Seahawks are, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And yes, that is factoring in Robert Woods. That is factoring in Cooper Cup and Jared Goff. I don't care. If you're looking at pick which top three you want, do you want Jared Goff, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup, or do you want Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett? That to me is a no-brainer offensively who you want. The difference is the Rams' defense came and showed up. They shut them down. They didn't have to score a ton in order to win this game. But going forward against the upper echelon of the NFC, the Seahawks have to pitch a perfect game offensively. If they don't, they will lose because they cannot stop anybody through the air. Yeah, I think in the playoffs here, we're leading to the panic, but I'm not worried about Seattle right now because they get to play the NFC East, my you know, joke division, but in all seriousness, you look at uh, four of their next five games, they get Philly, they get the Giants, they also get the Jets, and then they get the uh, football team, they get Washington, so the the toughest Part of that stretch is this week is you know, tomorrow from when we're recording this really good Thursday night matchup against Arizona, which is really going to be you know the tipping point if they get to seven and three there. 
they're going to be 11-3 and three towards the end of that, and then they get two division games to end the year with the Rams and the 49ers. Yeah, they're getting through all that unscathed. I think tomorrow's pretty much the biggest game of their year, you know, so far. So we'll see, we'll see how that turns out. Take a look at the was it the Monday night game, the Pats and the Ravens in the rain. I think so. Yeah, what a way for who would have picked that before? I mean, I know weather kind of plays a factor, but Pats beat the Ravens. No, it's 20... a Sunday night game. Sunday night. Uh, Sunday night. Pats beat the Ravens 23-17. Cam Newton completes a pass to only one receiver, uh, Jacoby Myers. He had a few. He had a handful of catches, but he only hit one wide receiver the whole game. Rex Burkhead caught two touchdown passes, though. But I would like to say that a Pats wide receiver threw a touchdown pass this year. And remember, this was week 10. A Pats wide receiver threw a touchdown to a running back before a Pats quarterback threw a touchdown to a wide receiver through week 10. That's crazy. Yeah, I think I think he completed a pass to two tight ends, James White and Rex Burkhead on the running back side and Jacoby Myers on the wide receiver end of it, but that that was it. Bo, I think you, I think you had a quote for for Cam Newton after the game, and I kind of alluded to it earlier when we were talking about you know Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Yeah, the so Cam Newton after the game, they were asking him, um, and clearly this was this was so to script this game, just very clean football. They really ran the ball well, uh, did exactly basically everything they wanted to do. They asked Cam Newton about it after the game. He says, uh, quote, listen, everything that coach coaches throughout the week, it tends to come up. I'm beginning to think that he either has like a Staples Easy button or a Buffalo Wild Wings button or just a direct line to the football god. He's the football whisperer. Um, He says, when it comes to anticipating what the game's going to be like, how we need to win and things like that, he always knows. So my question here is clearly Cam Newton, they just haven't told him about the spy cameras. Uh, like, of course, I just thought this was a great quote for illuminating, you know, we've all known this about Bill Belichick. He does seem to always know what's coming. He's probably just a really great coach, but he probably needs to know the history a little bit better too, and not be saying things like that about, uh, old Billy because he might have a spy camera out there knowing exactly what play calls are coming based on his history. I, I just thought that was fun. Well, hopefully they're not the same type of cameras <laughs> as, uh, as they had in the Jets locker room. Let's not talk about the Jets. This week. <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to talk about the Jets a little <laughs> bit this week. It's a bye week from talking about the Jets. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the Jets uh, in a few minutes, but I think with that, we are going to move on to our picks. We're going to get through picks pretty quickly this week. In college, there's not a whole lot going on in the NFL. We'll get through that really quick right after right after this. So with NFL picks this week, we'll get started. We just mentioned Thursday night, Cardinals at Seahawks. Pretty big game. Both teams 6-3. and three. Uh, They're both 
tied for the lead in the NFC West, right, Bo? Yeah. Yep, tied for the lead in the NFC West. Seattle. Tied with three teams. Three teams are tied in that division. Seattle, a three-point favorite this week, even with all the meltdown talk. As I really, really want to take Seattle. I'm a big Seattle believer. I like a lot of the guys out there, but you know, with the current trend, I'm going to go quick here. I'm taking Cardinals plus three. Bo? It's a tough one, but I think I have to agree with you. Um, I think they're going to be red to go coming off a really, really tough loss. Uh, I think they get it back on Thursday night. Yeah, I've got the Cardinals here. Um, I just don't believe in the Seahawks defense. I think the Cardinals match up very well through the air. If I'm getting three points, I love it. Okay. Next up, we I'm got Seahawks just because. Oh yeah, we gotta we gotta bring Auburn Matt. Self admitted, not a huge NFL guy, but I like having his picks in here. So all of us taking the Cardinals, Auburn Matt taking the Seahawks minus three. And just before we move on, we are going to start keeping track of our picks now. I know we've just kind of been doing them off our head, but now we're going to start holding some people accountable. Uh, we need to keep That's track of that. So I'm, I'm keeping track here. Uh, but quickly, Falcons at Saints. Jameis starting first game there. Saints at home, minus five. Taking the Saints. You know, I I'm a Jameis truther, but... Even with Jameis, it's always a roller coaster. I'll uh, I'll give the five. I think Saints win by a field goal, maybe. I like the Saints here. Um, laying five scares me. I think that's a perfect line for this game. But Falcons, no more interim coach boost. They're dead. Give me the Saints at home. Yeah, I mean, Jameis Winston has, what is he, has as many uh, – interceptions as he does touchdowns, but I still think the Saints are going to pull this one out, so I'm going to pick Saints. Okay, Titans at Ravens. Ravens drop down to, I think they're in the last spot in the AFC right now. They're what? They're the 7th or the 8th seed if it were going to end right now, but the Ravens still 6.5 points, 6.5 point favorites at home against the Titans. Man, I cannot stand Tennessee. Just out of just out of spite, give me the Ravens. But yeah, right on one that I think, like you said on the last one, Alex, this is a perfect line. But I, I'm taking the Titans. Give me the points. Uh, I I like the Titans. I still like Ryan Tannehill. I like Derrick Henry. Um, yeah, give me give me the points. See, I'm going to lay the six and a half here. I I think the Ravens bounce back. they can't be as bad as they look. They've returned everybody. I'm not believing that the Ravens are a bad, good team. I think they just had a couple of bad games. I'll take the Ravens and I'll lay the six and a half. Ravens win by ten. I'm going to pick the Titans for this one. Okay. Good pick. Dolphins at Broncos. Dolphins minus three in Denver, in what will most likely be cold. I've been betting against the Dolphins, and they've been winning straight up, so I'm tempted to keep on keep on that train, so I'll do it just as a Dolphins fan, even though 
it's really not my this is this is hard first head. Uh, I'll take the Broncos plus three, even though I know it's not going to be true, especially after watching that Broncos Raiders game. Give me Broncos plus three at home. Um, I think I'm taking Miami in this one. Uh, Denver just they they spend so much time playing from behind, and it's, I mean I guess it's because they're not very good, but with they're really good at is running the ball, but they keep getting in these negative game scripts and it's just viral through locks, not up to the task. Um, and especially against a good defense in Miami, I got to take Miami. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm very excited to see the Dolphins secondary play against drew lock. Alex. Yeah. You both took the words straight out of my mouth. I cannot wait to see this turnover prone offense that Denver has show up against a ball hawking defense. Dolphins convincingly. I'm going to pick the Dolphins too. Uh, rolls on. I like the way that you all think. I'll take the loss on that one for the Finns. Appreciate it. Bo. <laughs> Buddy. The 0-9 Jets at the 2-7 and Chargers. I think the, I think the Chargers have actually lost eight games. I think last week was their first game, and it was against the Dolphins. I think it was their first game of the year that they had lost by more than seven points. So they keep it close. Justin Herbert got a fresh cut. He got rid of the flow. Dolphins' defense made him cut the flow. He looks like a college freshman right now. Don't know how that's going to work out for him, but Chargers minus eight and a half at home. I think that Herbert finally puts it together at home, and they can get a win convincingly over the Jets. Give me the Jets with double-digit losses. They move to 0-10. Chargers minus 8.5. 8.5 is so many points. Jets are coming off a bye. You do but know you said, who the Jets are, right? You said you're keeping us accountable now, keeping track of these picks, so I'm taking the Chargers. Yeah, Chargers 8.5, hammer it. Chargers are actually a very... The Chargers are a decent football team. The Jets are not. Simple enough. Yeah, I think Jets, Jets are bombing for T-loss. I'm going to pick the Chargers. But you took the Chargers? The Chargers are 2-7, and, and it's 8.5. Yeah, I got to take the Chargers. Okay, just making sure. Wanted to get it down right. <laughs> Chiefs at Raiders. Raiders beat the Chiefs earlier in the year. Only team to beat the Chiefs. Kansas City, an away favorite. Kansas City minus seven in Vegas. Give me Vegas to cover. I'm definitely taking Vegas to cover. I mean, Vegas won this game earlier in the year already by eight against the Chiefs. I know that doesn't directly translate, but uh, if they're capable of winning in Kansas City by eight, I don't see why they can't cover a seven-point spread if you give me seven points. Um, I don't see why I shouldn't take Vegas in this game. Uh, yeah, absolutely give me Vegas. I am taking out the hammer on the Kansas City Chiefs. We've never seen the Chiefs play angry. They've never had to. But for Andy Reid to come out and talk about the victory lap that the Raiders buses did around the stadium after they won earlier in the year, that there's something to be said for bulletin board material. 
the human factor on this one. Give me the Chiefs angry to win by double digits. Alvin Matt. Yeah. I'm gonna take the Chiefs is gonna they're gonna kill the Raiders and Andy Reid's gonna eat like four hamburgers and laugh laugh like it laugh like insanely loud. That's what I'm that's what I'm gonna pick. Okay, and last sure, game sure. last game that we're gonna pick in the NFL for the week. Rams at Bucks, Tampa Bay minus four. Ooh, that's a tough one. I think that's a really good line. I don't know. It it all depends on what what Tampa are we going to get this week. We've seen them up. We've seen them way down. We've seen them at the peak of the NFL. And we saw a pretty good team last week. I really don't know what we're going to get out of them. Uh, give me the Rams plus. Uh, but they're playing on the East Coast. Yeah, I'll switch it. I'll switch it on the spot. Give me the Bucks minus four. I like you switching it on the spot. This is the Monday night game. I I think this is also a pretty spot on line, but I like this game to finish by a field goal. I don't. I'm super conflicted on who ends up winning this one ultimately, but I definitely see it being within a field goal. So uh, give me the points. I'll take the Rams. Oh, so I completely agree. I I'm taking the Rams defense in this one. I Bold prediction. Going to go out and say that the Rams either have a pick six or a scoop and score. There's going to be a defensive touchdown in this game. I think it's relatively low scoring. Um, this one probably to me is like a 24 21 finish, and I'm leaning on the Rams. So give me the four. Uh, I'm going to take the Rams on this one. All right. So I think that's everyone going Rams other than. Other than me, with the last-minute switch, uh, I think that was all that we were going to tackle for the NFL that week. This week, though, moving into college, Ole Miss versus A&M was postponed, just like Auburn's game against Mississippi State last week was postponed. So nothing on the Rebs. Talked about the spread of the Indiana-Ohio State game a little bit earlier. Ohio State at home, minus 20.5 against Indiana. I'm taking Indiana. Yeah, I, I think I'm taking Indiana, too. They've been playing good football. Uh, this spread's just a little bit too big for me. It's 20 and a half. Yeah, I get the reticence there. But this, to me, seems like one of those Ohio State games where it's close for three quarters. And then all of a sudden, they turn on the Jets and end up winning by 24. I could see this being, you know, a 21 17 kind of game going into the fourth and then all of a sudden Ohio State turns on the Jets and wins you know, 44 to 20. I, I think that's where this game ends up. So I'm going to actually lay the 20 and a half, which is against every fiber of my being, but I'm going to do it. Uh, 247 Sports, like they simulated this game. This is actually one of their best bets. They simulated this game like a thousand times and their number was Ohio State like 23. So I would, I'm going to pick Ohio state to, I'm going to pick them to win and they're going to cover. So. Auburn Matt going the smart route and going with the statistical analysis here like that. App state at coastal Carolina. I think coastal's game last week was canceled or postponed. So they got a bye week app state. I mean, this is, if you're around in the Carolinas, like this is a huge 
game for a lot of people up there, and it's a game that I would love to be able to actually go to or at least be able to watch. App State at Coastal Carolina, Coastal minus 5.5. I think App State's offense will sputter a little bit as much as it hurts me to bet against App State. I'm going to take Coastal Carolina. Yeah, both of these teams have been real good this year. The only loss between them is App State lost right at the start of the year to a real good Marshall team. Um, so there's a lot to like from both of these teams. Ultimately, I'm taking Coastal Carolina really only because of the bye week. I think the, you know, the quote bye week, uh, the COVID bye, I think the, the extra just time off the field, maybe that makes a difference. Yeah, familial ties aside here, and, you know, hard versus head, you said it earlier, Rob, I want App State. I want to pick them so much. And, you know, you've got to figure that Coastal Carolina is due for a letdown game. Here's the opponent to give it to them, which is exactly why I'm taking Coastal Carolina to win, because everything logically says take the five and a half with App State, but no, I'm going Coastal. Yeah, I'm going to pick the extra roll, so <clears throat> give me Coastal Carolina on this one. Okay, so we're all in agreement there. App State's quarterback is Zach Thomas. Not that Zach Thomas, but I think Zach Thomas throws a costly pick in this game that's really going really to change the outcome, so that's what I'm going to base my pick on. After that, we've got Cincinnati at UCF. Alex, you said earlier, you know, it's really – the last big test for for Cincinnati this year in the AAC, if we can call it a, I, I'll put test in you know, quotations. I don't think I don't think it's really going to be that close. I think Cincinnati rolls. They're minus six on the road. Give me Cincinnati. I would broadly agree with that. I I don't think it's much of a test. I don't think it is much of a test. Uh, I actually think Tulsa could be more interesting at the end of the year for Cincinnati than this game in the game. Um, but we can discuss that in a couple weeks. So uh, give me Cincinnati here. Yeah, that UCF passing offense with Dylan Gabriel, you know, they're putting up ungodly numbers. Number one passing offense in the country, I believe. But Cincinnati's defense is playing lights out. I like Cincinnati here. Even laying six on the road, I'm going to take the Bearcats. Yeah, um, I don't think the defense, quote unquote, defending national champions from 2007 UCF or 2017 UCF, are going to win this one. I'm going to pick Cincinnati to kill them. They'll probably win by like 21 at least. I think that's a very good, very solid prediction. Liberty at NC State. Liberty now 21st in the nation. 8 0. For Hugh Freeze and the Fighting Flames, NC State fresh off a win against Florida State. NC State is favored at home, minus three and a half. NC State's a really interesting team. They were able to knock off North Carolina. They took down Florida State, and we don't really know which Florida State we're going to get each week. This is a tough game, but I really want to ride the hot hand of Hugh Freeze. What's that quarterback down there at Liberty now? He was the Auburn guy. Is it Malik? Malik Willis, yeah. Malik Willis. Yeah, I think they're 
I think they're going to be able to get it done. I think Liberty does a good job of taking down the ACC. They've beaten a handful of ACC teams this year, right? They beat Virginia Tech. Yeah, that's not sure if they beat anybody else. That's kind of their thing. They've got they've got more ACC wins than a few than a few other teams. I think so. They beat Syracuse. What conference is Syracuse playing in? Oh, they're in the ACC now. I think right. They were in the Big East, but you know, rest in peace, the Big East. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, the toughest game we're picking in college football this week. Um, super conflicted on it. I think this will end up being the toughest test that Liberty has all year, though. Uh, I would really like to see you freeze and see Liberty pull this one out. I'm not sure that they can do it, though. Uh, I think I gotta take North Carolina State here, and I think, but I think I'm taking them like to win by four or five. It's gonna be real, real tight. Uh, but I'll even give up the three and a half. I think. Yeah, well, I agree. I think this is a real tough game to pick. Um, I'm gonna take Liberty. Uh, you know, if you look at it, three and a half at home for NC State. You put that on a neutral side, it's basically a pick em and lining up. I think Liberty is a more consistent product than what we've seen out of NC State, so I'm going with consistency here and taking Liberty. I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to pick NC State for this one. All right, so two of us got Liberty, two of us got NC State. Last game outside of the SEC, I might throw one in one or two in there towards, you know, the very end of the show as we wrap up, if there's anything else interesting on there. But Bedlam, Oklahoma State at Oklahoma. Oklahoma, minus seven. Give me Gundy. Give me the mullet. He's a man. He's over 50 now. Oklahoma State, plus seven. Yeah, you give me a rivalry like this one and then say the spread is anything more than five, and I'm absolutely taking the dog. So give me Oklahoma State. Yeah, completely agree there. And it's weird not to see this game end the year. Um, but Bedlam is always close. It always seems to go to overtime and it always seems to be decided by like a missed extra point. I think that's what happens here. So I'll take the seven and take State in this one. Give me the Cowboys. Gundy with the Mr. Mullet man. He's going to roll. So. Plus seven for me. All right, so that wraps up pretty much outside the SEC. As we take a look inside the SEC, noon game, UF at Vandy. I really don't think that we have to talk about you know who's going to win that game, but the thirty-one and a half point, thirty-one and a half point spread. That was a lot of points, but I really think that UF covers it. Well, yeah. I agree with that. I mean, Ole Miss covered would have covered a 31-and-a-half-point spread against Vanderbilt. Florida is clearly the better team there. Uh, Florida won this game last year 56 to nothing. I think that's probably about what we'll see this week. So give me Florida even even laying 31-and-a-half. Completely agree, Bo. You know, Vandy always kind of Andy's squirrely when they play Florida in years past. Not this year. Florida rolls. 
what is it? Um, last was they say last thirty years versus Vanderbilt. I saw the stat today. I think it was twenty-seven Florida and one Vanderbilt. Um, I think Florida's going to win this one, but they always play like dog shit against Vandy, so I don't think they cover. Okay, so just like I thought, everyone's going to be taking UF on that one. Next up, very interesting, LSU at Arkansas. Now, when this game opened, Arkansas was actually a one-point favorite. It's moved to LSU minus two now. I'm not sure you know what's happened to take it in that direction. But when it opened, it was actually believed to be the biggest swing between two FBS teams, two 1A teams, you know, in consecutive years, the biggest flip between a point spread. And I think it was LSU was actually favored by, I think, 45 last year to open. And then this was now Arkansas being favored by one. So it was a 46-point swing. And that's believed to be the biggest swing between, you know, two of the same teams in consecutive years in college football history. Again, I I don't know what took LSU to minus two since this game opened. Maybe you all know, but give me, give me Arkansas plus two. A lot of Cajuns just need something to do, decide they wanted to bet, I guess. Yeah. I I don't know what is motivating that swing. Uh, This is in no way me saying Arkansas is a good team, but LSU is a bad team. Um, I'm absolutely taking Arkansas on this one. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure there. Oh, oh, I know what I was going to say about this game. The the fact that we even had a conversation earlier in this show about Ed Orgeron, Ed Orgeron's job security, I think that says it all that you need to know about LSU, whether it's a realistic conversation or not. So give me Arkansas. Yeah, I like Arkansas here as well. Um, too much uncertainty with LSU right now. Arkansas, say what you will, Sam Pittman's done a good job out there. At home, give me Arkansas, especially getting the two. What I always thought was weird is Arkansas hates LSU more than anybody, but LSU, I think, considers Bama their top rival. Never understood that in the SEC, but Arkansas actually has a pulse this year, and they're not the doormat of the SEC. So I'm going to pick Arkansas plus two this year. LSU's in some real fucking trouble with Bo Pelini. Yeah, and Arkansas or LSU, I'm sorry, not just in trouble with Bo Pelini, but there's been a lot of stuff coming out, you know, recently. Yeah, they had a sex scandal thing come out today. Have y'all seen that? Yeah, that was that was big news. That yeah, I think it was around nine. Uh, allegations of sexual misconduct kind of got swept under the rug by coaches and weren't reported, and coaches knew about it. And there's some Darius Geis stuff that came out, and, uh, you know, LSU's all over the place there in the midst of that, you know, whole Will Wade thing, and then there's that FBI thing, and then there was that guy who was funneling money through the children's hospital to pay guys. You know, it's a mess there. And... You know, I'm an Ole Miss guy, and I'm supposed to not like LSU, but I love LSU. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to just dog on LSU, but some of the LSU faithful that I talk to, they don't seem to think that it's that bad. But Alex, you mentioned 
you know, if there's going to be a coaching change, they don't have the money to fire anybody. They didn't have the money to fire, you know, less miles and hire a guy for a time. It, there's there's just a lot of things going wrong over there that ooh, it's it's just continuing to pile on. And I don't know how much you can kind of just be like, oh, it's fine for, you know, three plus years and then, you know, expect it to all just kind of go away. Right, Alex? Yeah, no, uh, 100% right. Yeah, I was kind of a little tangent off there, but LSU could be you know, looming on some trouble. Another game that big spread, second biggest spread of the week in the SEC, UK, Kentucky at Bama, Bama minus 30. Hey, give me Bama. This isn't a game that I think anybody sees as being in doubt, but, you know, and the University of Kentucky just has not been what I thought they would be. But Kentucky's managed to keep every game much closer than I thought they would have been, whether they were the victor or the loser. So uh, I'll actually take the points here, um, only because it's 30 and Kentucky's kept them close. I think they kept that Vandy game closer than they wanted to, though. (laughs) They did keep it close. No doubt. They only play close ones this year. It's crazy. Yeah, this one ain't going to be close. We're gonna we're gonna break the pattern here. I mentioned a few weeks ago Mac Jones for Heisman was a real thing. It's gonna show again here. Play the thirty, take Bama. I agree with that. I think uh yeah, I mean UK playing on the road at Alabama, probably one of the hardest places to play in the SEC. It's not gonna be good at all. Next up. Auburn, Matt, and Alex, your game. Uh, what's this? A, it's a 7 p.m. Eastern, I think. I think you're like the ESPN2 game, right? Something like that. Yeah, so. this is a, yeah, this is a night game. This is a uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 7 Eastern. And night they're gonna game. They're going to show off the new LED lights they put in Jordan Hare. That's going to be something interesting to watch. Night game yeah. on the Plains. Tennessee at Auburn. Auburn minus 10.5. Uh, I think that's I think that's a decent amount of points. The Tennessee is bad, but at Bo Nix at home, a lot better. Entirely different story than Bo Nix on the road. I don't I honestly don't know, Alex, how you'll pick this one too. Uh, it seems you might go back and forth on it, but mm, I'm pressed to take Auburn ten and a half. Just because they're at home. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And Tennessee games, I always tend to waffle, and I always have doubts just because I hate Tennessee. This one is scaring me because I don't have a doubt. Bonex has never had an interception at home, and I probably just jinxed him with that, the broadcaster curse. But I like Auburn 10.5. Tennessee just ain't good. I really think that Kevin Steele and this defense have it dialed in right now. I like Auburn holding Tennessee to very few points and Auburn scoring not as many as we did against LSU, but somewhere in the vicinity. I think we put up over 40. Yeah, Auburn lay the 10 and a half. Yeah, I mean, Jared Garitano, they even say, is he's not an SEC caliber quarterback. Um, I think a lot of the Oh, play- I didn't mention the turnover monster yet. Turnover <laughs> monster. Jared Garantano. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, Jared Garantano is not a SEC caliber quarterback. Um, I think that's one of the main problems people have with Pruitt. They're like, no, give him a chance, give him a chance. Um, I think that's why they're stalling on offense a lot. <laughs> I do think that Auburn's not going to kill him as badly as um, probably LSU because uh, I think UT UT's in a better spot right now than LSU, but. I mean, a night game in Jordan Hare. That's one, and, and, it's, and a home game because Gus Malzahn's a different coach when he coaches at home for whatever reason. He just plays like shit on the road, and he plays amazing at home, especially when his jobs, especially when his job security is up in the air. But I think I think that a lot of the players, like Eli Stove and all them, they're they're going to take out their frustration on Tennessee from the debacle that was the 18 game. I think they're going to win by big, not as not as much. It's probably the final score will probably be like. 41 to 21 or something like that, or 21 for 17. But I'm going to pick Auburn to cover on this one. I'll join you on that. Uh, more a pick against Tennessee than a pick for Auburn, but I'll I'll pick Auburn here. All right, so we've stayed pretty consistent on the SEC. Next up, second to last game of the night, Mississippi State at Georgia. Georgia minus 25. And sometimes I wonder if Georgia can actually score 25, but uh, Mississippi State is so bad. And Georgia's defense is so good. What What is it, Matt? Day what of the air raid? 53. Day 53. KJ Costello for Heisman, or at least they said that in week one. They barely beat fucking Vanderbilt. <laughs> I mean, if you can barely beat Vanderbilt, you got some major issues this year. Day 53 of the air raid. They put up 24 against Vandy, and there's 25-point dogs to Georgia. You know what? I, after, after hearing you all and thinking this through, I actually feel a lot more comfortable picking Georgia minus 25 because I think Georgia's offense really isn't going to have to do that much. The defense might score 14 or 21 just themselves. Their offense might only have to score one touchdown. So give me, give me Georgia minus 25. Yeah, who gives a rip about this game? Um, Georgia, 25, hammer it. Yeah, I mean, if K.J. Costello is playing, he's probably going to throw at least three interceptions. If Kyle Trask almost threw, like, four, um, there were just some pick balls that the Georgia secondary didn't get. I, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> the Bulldogs are going to kill the – or the, the UGA Bulldogs are going to steamroll the Mississippi State Bull, Bulldogs and then – Mike Leach has really dug himself into a hole this year because you know he's got he's got to work on his running game in the past, in, in the next year or he's going to be in some for some serious issues in the next couple of years. Bo, were you taking Georgia too? Might have missed. Yeah, that. I okay. Yeah. All right. So Bo took Georgia too. So we've been we've been very consistent on these last game of the weekend for the SEC. Missouri at South Carolina. Missouri, a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the big question here is, does South Carolina get the interim bump? It's Mike Bobo. Does everyone remember when Mike Bobo was a hot commodity coming out of Georgia? When he, he was Mark Rick's coordinator, right, Alex? Yes, he was. And he took the job out of Colorado State. You know, they were building a new culture, building a new program out there, and that went down the tubes. But, yeah, I, you know where I'm going with this. Interim coach bump. Give me the six and a half. You know, give me South Carolina to cover here. At home, yeah, Carolina. 
I think we say I think we say that it works. What the? <laughs> I can't go against the interim coach bump grain. The tails of the tailgate interim coach bump. It's a thing. <laughs> I can't pick against it. Give me USC. I think it's it's one of those things. I said it. You know, it works two out of three times, a hundred percent of the time, and it. And it didn't hit against Southern with Southern Miss, so that was the third time. So yeah, so it's due two out of three times, a hundred percent of the time. That's science. South Carolina. It worked with the Falcons and the Texans. South Carolina. South Carolina covers. I don't know if I'll go far as to say that they'll win, but they will cover. uh, They'll cover plus six and a half. Well, USC or yeah, South Carolina has. Um, and they have like five players opt out. Well, you say opt out, but in the middle of the season when they say opt out, that's quitting on your team. So I'm actually going to pick Mizzou on this one, but I think yeah, I think they're not going <clears> to. <throat> I think South, South Carolina is going to keep it close, though. But I'm going to pick Mizzou on this one. And Bo, you had South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I believe this interim coach bump thing quite yet, but I'm I'm not going to fade it this week. All right, so that's about all we had in the SEC. Matt, Auburn, Matt, I think you had some other games I'm seeing on here for your your best bets from what you've been tracking. We already talked about Indiana, Ohio State, uh, some other ones, Louisville and Syracuse, New Mexico Air Force, and a game that's actually going on as we're recording this, uh, Northern Illinois and Ball State. What do you have on those? Real quick before we get out of here. Yeah, I mean, I got Syracuse plus 18 for that one. The model they said for 247 sports, that one looked pretty good. It's about 60% accurate. I mean, anything above 50% for betting is pretty good. Uh, they got Air Force is minus seven. <clears throat> and then currently right now they have an NIU plus 14 against Ball State. But that model, you know, obviously there's a reason. It's only 60% because I think Ball State's about to win that one by at least 14. So, if you if you did take Ball State minus fourteen, then you're pretty good. But anyway, so those are the those are the two those are the three remaining. OSU minus twenty, twenty and a half, Syracuse plus eighteen, and Air Force minus seven. All right, and then I said that I might throw another one in here. I've actually got to go and find what the line is, but uh, coming off a ten to seven loss, Bo. Southern Miss, Golden Eagles. What a game last week. What a miserable game in Bowling Green. Southern Miss takes a loss to Western Kentucky, 10-7. to Actually, uh, actually, a roommate of both Bo and I was at that game, so I definitely want to get uh, Mr. Dylan Hutton on one of our listeners and uh, talk about what it was like being at you know a COVID-impacted game at Western Kentucky, at a Southern Miss-Western Kentucky game, of all things, I really want to know what the atmosphere was like there. And uh, actually, uh, someone we know that was actually Big Red, the Western Kentucky mascot, I'm sure there's some tales from the tailgate there that we could talk about having a having a D1 mascot on with us. Uh, but as I kind of got to take a look at what the spread is this week, for Southern Miss, playing UT San Antonio at home in Hattiesburg. 
UTSA is minus nine. You know, this is, well, this is you and me, our favorite thing, one of our favorite things to pick every week, even though it makes us sad. I've bet on Southern Miss a few times this year, and it has proven me wrong. Give me UTSA minus nine. I want to take Southern so, so badly. We all want but to, but we know better. UTSA is so much better than Southern is. I mean, UTSA only lost by a touchdown to BYU, who we're talking about is like a playoff team. But you know what? Give me Southern. I'm always going to take Southern. You, you're not going to get me off of that. You got me to not pick the Jets this week, so I'm at least taking Southern. Alex? Yeah, I don't care. Give me, uh, give me UTSA. I'll take. I'll lay the nine. The most correct answer we've got so far. <laughs> Oliver, Matt, you taking Southern Miss to the top or no? Yeah, my cousin used to go there. Fuck it, let's pick Southern Miss. Oh, you were, yeah, baby. you were wrong. In in the Tales from the Tailgate League play, we're going to designate this one as a free space for this week. This one is definitely. <laughs> Of all the people who could have taken this heart versus head, I didn't think it was going to be Auburn Matt who took it. But, you know, Southern Miss to the top. 